This is the Kingdom Mogul Podcast. We help you grow your faith as you grow your business. And now, your host, Jesse Cole. Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Mogul Podcast. I am your host, Coach Jesse Cole. We have a special guest on the episode today. I had a chance to sit down with Mr. Peter Archangel. He is a speaker and author a financial coach, and his passion is to help you reach your financial goals and objectives. We discuss financial stewardship, faith, and how his heart transplant gave him a new perspective on what it means to do business in partnership with God. Peter says that it's not about how much you make, it's about what's at stake. And you can learn more about him at www.peterarchangel.com. That's P-E-T-E-R. A-R-C-H-A-N-G-E-L dot com. I know you're going to get some value out of this conversation. So let's get into it. Mr. Peter Archangel on the Kingdom Mogul Podcast. Thank you very much, Mr. Archangel, for being a part of the show today. Well, thank you, Jesse. It's yeah. my pleasure. Yeah. So can you tell Pete, can you tell the audience? more about yourself, where you come from, your perspective, your theology behind faith and business? Absolutely. Um, I come from Louisiana. I was born and raised in Louisiana. Uh, I had, uh, my parents were together. They, uh, there were five children in our family and uh, I was in the middle, uh, one of the middle child. And I grew up uh, uh, watching my parents handle finances particularly they were christians and the believers and they taught us that uh, uh god requires us to put him first and the money that any money that we have and and ever have will uh, belong to him and he's the owner of all of it all and and that stayed with me all my life yeah. Yeah. so can you talk about the example that your your parents set when it came to finances and and how to not just be a a a buyer but a builder um with with your money yes my parents recognized that they were responsible to god for their money they exercised the process of being good stewards over their money and what they taught us was the tithe uh, which is 10 percent of what they earned they gave to god first they also believed in giving in in addition to the tithe and they gave, uh, I can remember times when they would, they didn't believe in checks at that time, way back then. <laughs> they believed in cash and they believed in money orders. And I can remember going to the local retailer and buying money orders so that my dad and mom could send an offering to places like CBS or Billy Graham. So they, were, they taught us the, the, the importance of giving at a very early age and I took that with me into my adult age. Yeah. You know, we're, we're talking to business owners who are also believers as well. And typically, especially in our churches, we don't really talk about money until it's time to give. And that traditionally has been that way. It's, it's starting to change. But traditionally, I grew up in the, in, the, in the kind of environment where, you know, talking about money and, and owning a business um, wasn't something that was heard from a pulpit, even though 80 percent of our church, they ran a business. Right. right. So the only time that we really talked about money is when it was time to change the roof or do a doorknob or if we were you know, behind on our budget. So can you talk about how it how important it is for us to be mindful and to be good stewards 
of the finances that that God has given us? Well, I think Jesus said it best in, in Matthews when he talked about the parable of the stewards um, that were responsible for their, their handling the money that the, they were entrusted with. You will remember the fact that uh, one of the steward, stewards were given one piece of coin, one was given two, and another five. And it's a great lesson because all of them were given according to their abilities. And so we all have a measure of ability or a level of ability in which God expects us to operate in. And when it comes to our money, he wants us to realize that the money belongs to him, first of all, but that we are responsible for growing that money. We, we, we don't just earn money, but we get money we save money, but we also are responsible for growing money so that we're in a position to help others. I remember 1 Timothy 6.17 where God says, command those who are rich or those who have to be good and to do good with what they have so that others will benefit from it. So all of the money that we earn, this is one of the lessons that I learned early, all of the money that I earn is not just for me. Some of it, some of it is for me to use to help others. Yeah. So you don't have the typical rags to riches story. You have more of a, you've seen your parents being good stewards of it and they set the example for you. So you have a grace for this area. And I think I told you that last time we talked. You, you, have, you, have, you have a grace for this specific area, which is needed, especially right now, uh, because so many you know, millennials and, and young adults and even you know, middle-aged um, adults, they're, want, they're seeing the benefit of using their God-given talent in the area of business entrepreneurship and so sometimes we can we can miss the stewardship part because we're so focused on getting out there and, and doing it once you make a sale or, or once you sign that contract or once you land that deal you're still responsible for stewarding that money properly right absolutely you talked about when you were a kid what you learned from your parents but let's move to your 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 young adult years right you right. you um you had a few jobs and you got a job in corporate america and then your mentality be began to even be even more enlightened around money so can you talk about that absolutely even though i did learn the lessons of savings and giving for my parents i didn't realize how to grow money so for much of my adult years i earned money and fortunately for me i didn't spend more than i earned <laughs> So I didn't uh, get into debt or those kinds of problems, but I wasn't growing money. My idea of financial success back then was to get a good job <laughs> with a good pension and uh, live off my pension and Social Security at some point when I retire. That was all I could dream. That's all I could think of. That's all I knew. That's all I was ever exposed to. But when I landed one of my, uh, the final corporate job that I ever had, uh, one of the managers walked up to me and he said to me, are you investing in the company's 401k plan? They match you up to 5% uh, of, your, of, of whatever you contribute. And I said, no, I don't even know what that is. I don't even understand it. And so he sat me down, taught me what that meant, taught me what I should do. Um, and I was wise enough to do what he asked me to do. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, I began to see my money grow and one of the motivating things about saving and building wealth is when you begin to do it, at some point, you're gonna, something's going to kick in. You're going to begin to see that this is working, that my money is growing, uh, and it brings a sort of freedom 
when you have more than what you need. And so I began to become a student, if you will, of finances. And this is what I encourage many of my, the people that I speak to about money is that money is so important that it's important for all of us to become students of it. Money is not the most important thing in life, but it affects everything that's important. So when you say become a student of money, right. what does that mean? What, that, when I say become a student of money, we need to understand uh, that no one prepares us to manage our money. <laughs> As kids, we grow up and we see what we see depending on what our parents do, uh, depending on what we might pick up in, our, uh, in the environment we're in. But generally, there's no formal training on how to manage your finances. There's none in school, there's little in college. And so what I say to people is, is that because money is so important, that you need to access information about how to handle, how to manage, how to invest. How, that's your responsibility to read the books, go online, Google, what does it take for me to uh, become financially successful? There's plenty of information that's available that's exactly what I did. I'm not telling you something that I heard. I'm telling you something that I did. I actually read books. I listened to tapes about people who explained what they did. And uh, success leaves clues. And when we begin to listen and watch people who are successful in, in whatever area we choose, we will pick up clues and we will be able to apply some of those to our own lives. So as you were researching, you know, you're moving into this, this new area of your life. You're learning more about money. You're becoming a student of it. What were some of the, the lessons? Let's say the th top three lessons you've learned that you learned as you were researching and that you actually saw the fruit of because you applied it. Absolutely. I, well, the, the, the primary thing is, is that you've got to learn to spend less than you earn. That sounds I, that, simple. That though. sounds so simple to <laughs> it. Yeah, it, it really does. But it's not. You'd be surprised that. 76 or more percent of working Americans live from paycheck to paycheck, yeah. which literally means that they're spending as much as they earn. And in some cases, with the use of credit cards, people are spending more than they earn. So that, that may seem like an obvious thing, but far too many people are living beyond their means. So that's the first thing, is to live within your means. You, I, call, I call it living with margin. What is margin? Margin is the gap between what you take home and what you spend. So why do you think so many of us, you said 76% right. of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, which means we're like a paycheck away from poverty, from, from being out on the street, right? Absolutely. And so why do you think, like, where does that come from? Is that something that we learned growing up? Is that something that, we, you know, are we trying to keep up with the Joneses per se? Like typically in, in your experience, when you're talking to your clients and they have that issue, what are, like, what, what is the root of that issue? The root of, root of that issue is that for most of us, we grew up with an appetite for things. Consumers. See, the, the consumers. Yeah. Um, people, you know, the, people often quote the scripture that they read in the Bible that said the love of money is the root of all evil. Well, I've, I've come to the conclusion that it's not so much the love of money, money, it's the love of things. And what happens is we get an appetite for things. In fact, if you watch a, a newborn baby as it begins to develop, it will, it, will, it will be appeased. The only way that you will be, be able to get the baby to quiet down, to, to be calm, is to give it something. And so that appetite for giving me something to appease me begins very early. And then as kids grow up, they, the way that you keep a kid busy, the, kid, the way that you keep a kid from 
crying, you give them something. Mm-hmm. You know, it, so we, we have this appetite naturally that we develop for things. And so what happens is people allow things to take priority in their lives and realize that you're not made happy and you're not made satisfied by things. You made happy and, uh, and, 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 and satisfied by the ability to be self-control and discipline. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I, the, one of the major keys to being financially successful is this discipline that you need. And, and then you ask me what other things that are important in addition to spending less than you earn is saving. No one likes to talk about saving, but saving is not so much a monetary thing, although it's very, that it does pertain to that, but it's a discipline thing. If I can, if I can quench a want and quench a desire and manage myself with self-control, then God is able to control. He's able to trust me with more important things. If I can control my financial appetite, then the Bible says that he can trust me with true uh, riches. Mm. And so it's, it's, it's really important that we uh, learn this to control this appetite. Okay. So spend less than what you make. Right. Become more disciplined with, um, with, with saving. Right. So I, I know as, as a kid, my grandparents and my parents would always say, all right, boy, save your money. Mm-hmm. Whether it was a dollar, whether it was a quarter, it, has, it didn't matter how much it was. Mm-hmm. Save. Now, are we saving to spend or are we saving to build? What's the, Good what, question. What's the difference great, between the two? What's the t- difference between the two? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I, I uh, when you said that, I thought about my own life. Uh, and I think this is the experience of many, many people. Uh, my parents gave me a, a penny, a piggy bank. I don't know if you remember that. Mm-hmm. Way, way back, parents used to give their kids a bank to save their pennies, save their coins. And I said, you know, if I kept saving uh, from the time that I was a kid, uh, it, I probably would be amazed at how much I could have amassed, especially with interest. But the, one of the, the drawbacks of that is, is that most kids were spending, was saving to spend. So they saw someone that they wanted. They saw some. In fact, your parents might might even say that to you. Said, yeah. "Well, you know, save your money right. so that when you want something, you'll have money to." I've said to it to my it. five-year-old son. Absolutely, <laughs> many people do. I I said, uh, I wish my parents had said, "Save to build, mm-hmm. save to build." What's the difference between the two? The difference is, one is is that when you save to spend, you're saving. Uh, to consume, which means that you are going to not, um, at some point, you, you're not going to have any reserve. So you're going to, you're going to repeat the cycle. You're going to repeat the cycle, yeah. and you're going to, it's going to be a cycle that you, it's going to be hard to break. Mm-hmm. When you save to build, you realize that all of my money is not meant for me to spend. Some of my money is meant for me to build so that when, uh, when needed, I'm able to uh, contribute. I'm able to give as I choose. I'm able to uh, get the things that I need without the help of credit. Mm-hmm. See, but when, when you don't practice saving, then the only other resource you have for getting stuff is credit mm-hmm. because you have no resources if you didn't save. So an, an antidote for spending and getting into huge debt is savings. And... And and now and beyond that, uh, un, you also need to realize that saving by itself isn't even enough. Mm. 
at some point, if you really want to build financial security and financial success, you're going to have to invest. There are two important components to growing or building wealth. Time, you need time. That's why we encourage you to begin as early as you can. Because time added to compound interest, which is the fact, which, which I'll, I'll take a moment just to explain, is that whenever you put your money into an interest-bearing account of sort, not only does the money, the principal, the money you put in draws interest, but the interest that you draw on the money you put in, it draws interest. That's compound interest. That's getting interest on your principal and getting interest on your on the on your interest. So your money is making money. Your money, is, I, I like to say, your money goes to work for you. Yeah. Your money is an employee, and actually, your money is a much better employee than you are. Because <laughs> money won't spend itself. Money won't spend itself, yeah, and it'll yeah. work hard. It doesn't yeah. need any time off. It doesn't have vacation. It, it it's a pretty predictable and dependable worker. So, what would you say to somebody? who has a roller coaster employment history, right? You know, they probably worked here for three years and worked here for two years, um, experienced some unemployment, some hardships. How can they begin to develop a rhythm to get to this point that what you're talking about? Well, I, it all begins with a decision. Nothing really, really happens. Nothing happens, whether it's money or any other type of success until you decide. Now, many times we don't decide, and there are about four or five things that I, 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 I point to in terms of getting into a rhythm. The first is awareness. Um, until you get exposed to either information or people who are successful with money, you won't even know it's possible. <laughs> so first, you have to be aware of it. You have to get around, surround yourself with people who are successful. Secondly, you have to... Also, uh, be a person who's decisive. Uh, I like the saying that successful, financially successful people are quick to decide and slow to change their minds. Unsuccessful people are slow to decide and quick to change their minds. Mm -hmm. Something's not working, they're quick to do it. Mm -hmm. So those are the things, those are two things you need to be aware of. The third thing is you have to be a person of action. It's not enough to think it's a good idea. You've got to act on it. For years, I thought it was a good idea to become wealthy, and I thought it was a good idea to invest, but I didn't do it. I didn't take the action. The next one is discipline. You've got to realize that delayed gratification or no is not permanent. It's, no sometimes is not now. It doesn't mean not ever. It means not now. And then finally, you have to have a time perspective when you're talking about money. You have to think about what is the decision I'm making now with my money, what effect will that have tomorrow? Right. What effect will that have five, ten years from now? So always remember those those five things. So you would say that's 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 your framework for building wealth. It sounds so simple to do. Why is it so hard to do? Because it's so easy not to. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just so easy not to because of habit because because of, of well, because of what we see around us yeah. let's let's face it yeah. 76% of the people right. aren't doing what i'm talking about and, and even more more than that and let's face it there's a reason why um 1% of the wealth is in the hand uh, i'm sorry 90% of the wealth is in the hands of 1% of the people yeah. there's a reason for that the reason is is that it's harder to be successful than to be average yeah. it's harder to build wealth 
than to settle and just make it from paycheck to paycheck or just uh, be an average uh, 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 worker and an uh, average uh, person who just simply treat their money uh, and spend it as they, as they receive it or as they earn it. Uh, it's much more difficult. Success in any endeavor, Jesse, requires that we go the extra mile. It, it requires a little something extra. Uh, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Uh, and if you want to be successful in money or in any other area, realize that it will require a little extra effort. And I don't want to leave this money topic because it's, it's, it's extremely important, especially for those of us who have businesses, right? Many people who are going to be watching this or listening to this podcast, we have a business of some sorts. Whether you're a nail tech or a plumber or a consultant, you are running a business. And I, I read somewhere um, recently, I think it was in Yahoo Finance or something like that, where it said like 54% of Americans, only 54% of Americans have $1,000 in their savings account. Right. right. That statistics is still true. That's ama- that, like, that amazed me. That's right. That o- over half of a, people that live in the United States only have $1,000 in their savings. That's not even, for most people, that's not even a month's worth of expenses. That's right, because of the misuse of credit cards. And again, credit cards are not bad. They're not bad in and of themselves. I use them for convenience. But you don't use them to supplement your income. What happens in, in America has built a system as, uh, such as that a person can actually make 4000 a month and live like they make 8000 mm-hmm. with the use of credit. And it's very common. Nobody criticizes you for living in debt anymore. At one time, you were criticized if you were in debt. You were criticized if you didn't pay your bills on time. That's not criticized anymore. Right. People accept that, and so it's, it's become comfortable. It's yeah. become the norm. Right. You know, you're talking about debt, and you're talking about credit cards. We hear this, these two terms, good debt and bad debt. Right. Uh, you might hear the, the phrase, using other people's money. Yeah. Well, that's true. But when you, when you decide to use other people's money, it's not because you don't have any. It's because you don't want to use yours. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's what they call good debt. Buying a home uh, is considered good debt. But even buying a home when you can't afford it is not a good idea. (laughs) Okay, so don't, I don't like to use the word uh, or the phrase good debt. I like to use uh, spending wisely. And sometimes spending wisely does mean using credit. I use credit to buy my home. But I bought it with a sufficient, a sufficient, excuse me, a sufficient down payment and with a plan to pay it off mm-hmm. in less than 10 years. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that may be the use of credit, but that's managed credit. Mm-hmm. What get, gets people in a lot of trouble is unmanaged or unpredetermined use of credit. And it goes back to what you were talking about a couple minutes ago about discipline, having having discipline. Absolutely. Like that, that is the seed of the decisions that we're making is the lack of discipline or the, or the lack or the inability to see further than the purchase. Time perspective. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, you know, I, I've talked to people who said, you know, they can't, they can't pass up a sale. You know, well, they're having a sale. They're having Black <laughs> Friday. You know, I've got to shop. You've got to take advantage of that. No, you don't. Yeah. Not if you don't have... Uh, you don't have the money. Yeah, right. So it's, it's. What advice would you give to a kingdom business leader who is trying to make that transition from, you know, separating their faith in their business? How would, how can, how would you encourage them to, to merge it? 
to make to make it one, which it really is, but to embrace that idea that they are one and the same. Well, I think it begins, Jesse, with the whole idea. I wrote a book some years ago entitled Success is God's Idea. Mm -hmm. And I tried to say in that book, because it was this was during the time of the prosperity gospel, and it was big, and everybody was talking about uh, being pros prosperous and how to become prosperous. And what I discovered in my in writing that book is that God intended for us to all be successful from the beginning. Mm -hmm. In Deuteronomy 8 and 18, it talked about God says that, I, remember, I'm the one that gave you power to get wealth, mm -hmm. okay? But we, we, are to, we are to utilize wealth in any endeavor, including our businesses, to help build God's kingdom. God wants you to be successful. He wants you to, to uh, make a great uh, you know, income and to do well and to expand and to grow your business. But he wants to help you. He doesn't want you to do it by yourself. And when you don't merge faith with your business, then you're telling God, I'll do this by myself. And God said, well, you can do it that way. That's yeah. one way to do it. But you're responsible for those but results. But you're responsible <laughs> for the results, yeah, okay? Yeah. If you partner with me through your faith, I will help you succeed. And then you can always come to me because I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you there. And so I think any business owner personally who endeavors to do a business and excludes God or separate their faith from their business is hurting themselves. They're, they're putting themselves in, a, in a, a disadvantage because nobody wants them to succeed more than God does because God knows what a believer can do or a, person, a business person can do when they have plenty of resources. Uh, one of the key things that I've learned in life was that the reason why Jesus talked a lot about money, some people debate about that, but I think one of the reasons why he talked about money so important, uh, uh, so much, was that the role it could play if we got it right. I remember Billy Graham said some years ago, he said, if a person got their attitude about money correct, it'll just about straighten out every other area <laughs> in life. Because, see, business owner, if you get your money straight, it will free you up to think about more important things. Uh, and so you don't want to try to, to operate your business with just your intellect, just with your understanding. Your understanding doesn't, isn't big enough. It can't control outcome. The best you can do is hope. God is ready and willing and able to give you the desires of your heart. Yeah. I'm glad you touched on that because it took me a minute you know, I grew up in the church and everything, but it took me a minute to come to this decision to do business in partnership with God because we're we're taught to hustle and to grind and to go to school and to, to get the degree and to get all the knowledge and position yourself with the right people so you can make sure you know, so that you can make sure you're successful. Like we're taught that. But I wasn't taught how to do business in partnership with God. I was taught how to do it for him, but not with him. And it's a totally different perspective right and so in doing that i learned that the world the earth is the lord's it, it really is the lord's i'm just supposed to be a good steward of what he put in my hands right Absolutely. and so you were talking about the parable of the talents earlier right the, right. the one the two and the five right. and when, when we go back and look at that story i know we get caught up in how much um, was multiplied the, the multiplication piece right? right but what we miss is the fact that they were rewarded because they were obedient they, they were good stewards of it right. not because of how much was made 
but because they were good stewards of it, right? And that's so important because if you know that, that parable, you know that the person with the one talent thought he was doing the right thing. I mean, he really thought. He said, at, at best, I will protect what God has entrusted. But see, but God doesn't just want us to protect what he's given us. He wants us to trust him yeah. to grow what he has given us. And that's why it's important for you to learn how to save and invest as well, because it's not enough to keep what you get. It's the ability to trust God to do good with what you get and to grow what you have. Yeah. You were talking about your book, you know, Success is God's Idea. You have other books as well. Can you talk more about what your product line and, and how um, the audience can get in contact with you um, to get some more of those resources? Well, actually, I have one other book that I, I wrote entitled Thrive, Getting on a path, the path to Financial Freedom. And in that book, I basically tried to encourage the reader to understand that there is a path to success, any type of success. And many times we think that intention uh, is, leads to uh, success, but it's not intention. It's direction. And if you're not going in the right direction, it doesn't matter how good your intentions are. You've got to get on the right path. And so many people want to be successful, want to have financial security, want to be a blessing to the kingdom of God, want to do more, but they're on the wrong path. Yeah. And so in that book, I tried to, uh, to point out to the readers that there is a path to success and you must first of all get on that path. And that path is recognize that God is owner and that God is first and that God requires us to, to uh, grow what he's given us. He encourages us to share what he's given us. He, he, he wants us to enjoy what he's given us. And all of those things are part of getting on the right path to financial success. Earlier you were talking about your um, financial journey Let's go back to your parents, how they showed you right. um, how to save money and the importance of tithing um, and giving back. And then in your early adult years, when you're working in corporate America, um, on up until, you know, until you um, stopped working in corporate America, you were learning how to invest, the importance of investing. But then something happened that um, shook your world up in a good way, right? And so, like, God really got your attention. It wasn't because you were doing anything bad. Right. It, it wasn't because you're out here being crazy and being reckless. Right. You were being a good steward with what he had. But then some things happened. And do you mind talking about um, what you've experienced over these last, you know, five to 10 years? Yes. Actually, I uh, I was going along very well at maybe age 40, 45. I was doing well. Uh, I was still single, uh, but I, I began praying to God for a wife. And when I turned about 48, he answered me and gave me the wife that I dream. In fact, I prayed specifically. I asked him for certain things about a wife, and he gave me that I want more, this. much, much more. I want this, absolutely. And he did that. He blessed me abundantly with her. And I found out later, uh, Jesse, that not only did he bless me with the things that I wanted in a wife, he blessed me with things that I needed mm. in a wife as well because – uh, along about that time, maybe shortly after I got married, um, I was I developed a sickness, uh, a disease that at that time or still doesn't have a cure to it. Uh, I mean, they, they could treat it and try to help it get better, but I developed congestive heart failure. I was doing well. I was 
had a wonderful wife, a new marriage. We were financially set. We had a beautiful home. We were doing well. Life was good. We were prospering in every way. And then almost suddenly, all that changed when I was, I began to have symptoms of congestive heart failure. And so that put a wrench in things. But fortunately for us, uh, we were, we were Christians. We had a strong, strong faith. In fact, I began to believe God the moment they diagnosed me with congestive heart failure for supernatural healing. I believed that he could. I knew he could. I had seen God heal people in the past. I, I was taught healing in, 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 in my church. And so I was standing every day on the fact that God would somehow, maybe through the use of doctors, but would somehow literally heal my heart. And so for 12 years, I was battling uh, the symptoms of congestive heart failure, which meant uh, losing weight, um, in and out of emergency rooms. My wife would, you know, would rush me here and there to doctors, many, many, many doctor visits, lots of medicines that have all kinds of side effects. I mean, it was, I'm not complaining because God kept me strong and kept me, kept me, kept me, uh, did I kept me well through it all in terms of my continence, in terms of my attitude. Uh, and, and then probably maybe, uh, again, two years ago, I think it was, uh, I don't know how I would even, uh, not the, the exact date is February, uh, one, 2017. Uh, uh, just prior to that, God, doctors told me that you needed to go in the hospital. It was, it was really at a point where we needed to do something. And, uh, they brought me in the hospital right after uh, uh, new, uh, Christmas, uh, Dece December 16th, Christmas, uh, 2016 Christmas. Uh, they brought me into the hospital, and I was in the hospital. They said, after the test, they said, decided, you know what? You need a heart transplant. Mm -hmm. That your heart has gotten to the point now, and so bad that we need, we need a new heart. So my wife and I said, okay, we'll begin to believe God for that. So in two four weeks, probably four weeks in total at, in the hospital. Um, I, I was laying in ICU, one o'clock in the morning. Uh, nurses and doctors ran into my, in my room, turned the lights on, yelling my name, Mr. Archangel, Mr. Archangel, we found a donor. <laughs> and I can't tell you, Jesse, how, how, um, how I felt because it was kind of, unbelievable joy and all at the same time there was this this realization that someone had to give up a heart in order for me to get a heart and so it was kind of a mixture of both and so I called my wife and it, it, she was at home because it was one o'clock in the morning and she picked up the phone she heard my voice she knew exactly why I was calling and uh, she rushed to the hospital and we there prayed together we uh, it was such a moving moment because we were you know in tears crying over the blessing of getting a new heart and the God answering our prayers. And at the same time, we, we, we had the, the mind to think about the other family. So we prayed for them as well. And uh, about 1 o'clock, 12 hours later, they rolled me into the, uh, the operating room. And believe it or not, some would, might find this a little bit strange, but I kept wanting God to give me to heal my existing heart. Yeah. I really didn't want a new heart. A, a new heart. Yeah. I wanted, I, because I wanted God to show 
that miraculous power that I know he was capable of. I knew he could he could do it. And I knew that it would have a greater impact than than having a transplanted heart. Uh, and so even as I rolled into the room, into the operating room, I was still saying, God, I know you can do it. I want you to do it. And of course, some hours later, maybe eight hours later, later I woke up and uh, God had given me a, a new heart. And um, I was so thankful and so grateful. And, and, and of course, we honor God for blessing us. And, and God spoke to me and said, you know, Peter, uh, you have every right in the world to ask for what you want. As long as you realize you don't have any say over the outcome. I am the one who decides how to bless you, how to deliver you, how to answer your prayer. And this is what I say to people regarding their finances. You have every right to earn as much as you can and do what, you know, and earn your money the way you, you think is best. But ultimately, God has the final say and uh, and when you give it to him when you trust him with it uh, he will do what's best in the end and I'm so grateful that he did it the way he did it we gained new friends through the new family uh, we were able to minister to them and testify to them and who knows what seed might have been sown just because God chose to do it his way yeah. as opposed to mine how did your faith grow in this whole process as you're sitting in this, this hospital bed and you get the, they flick the lights on and they say, you, Mr. Archangel, we, got, we have a new heart and you called your wife and she rushed to the hospital. But then, like it happened so quickly, right? And so talk about the conversations you had alone with God and talk about your faith and how it grew through this whole process and how it's still maturing through this whole process. My faith actually did grow. Uh, considerably because I during the 12 years I, I will not uh, I will not be reluctant to tell you that I wavered in terms of will it get better because even though I wasn't necessarily given a death sentence I wasn't told I was gonna <laughs> die within a few years I sometimes felt like it I didn't tell you this part Jesse they put a defibrillator in my in my body to help my heart. First they put, gave me a pacemaker and then they gave me a defibrillator. For those of you who might not know what a defibrillator is, it's kind of like the, when you see in an operating room on television when you see them shock the patient to try to get the heart to pumping if it stops. Well, the defibrillator does that, but it's inside, it's implanted inside the body. And so they did that probably my third or fourth year uh, after the diagnosis. So for many, for a number of years, I live with this defibrillator. And from time to time, I would have an arrhythm, arrhythmia or an irregular heartbeat, and I would get shot. And so whenever that happened, that was like scary because it, it you know, it's your heart stopped. So suppose, you know, the thing doesn't work or, you know, this, this could be all, it could be the end. So during that time, um, I was tested in terms of would I trust God to see me through this? Would God heal me in time? Would this be the way that my life in? And so uh, my faith grew because, believe it or not, I became more and more confident at, at, at some middle point in this whole saga. I began to believe I'd live. Mm. I began to believe that God wasn't through with me. I began to have conversations with what God, God says, you know, um, 
I still have things for you to do. I still have a, a ministry for you to fulfill. Uh, that'll grow your faith. When you begin to have intimate conversations with God one-on-one -on -one, and you begin to sense his presence and when you begin to hear his vo voice, not audibly, but so, so real, then you begin to realize that this faith thing is real. Mm -hmm. And then I got to the point where I, right before the actual uh, procedure, where I said, you know what, Lord, I put all my trust in you. And I know that uh, no matter how things work out, I will fulfill what you have for me. Uh, you didn't tell me how long, but you told me I would fulfill it. And I think that that grew my faith at a whole new level. Wow. I hope you guys, <laughs> I hope you guys just really understand like what's happening right now. And I'm not sure, you know, where you are in life. I'm not sure if you're sick or maybe you may be going through some financial difficulty or maybe you're in a place where you don't know what your purpose and assignment is. The fact that you are still here, as Mr. Archangel said, lets you know that there is still a purpose for you. There, there's still a reason for you to push through whatever it is. There's still a reason on the other side of this pain. There's still a reason for you to, somebody needs you on the other side of this. Like we have to, we have to go through this kind of stuff to get the, the life context to help somebody else that we don't, we probably, we don't even know who they are. That's right. Right. And so we have to go through what we go through to empower and to equip and to encourage others to go through what they're going through to, to encourage one another's faith. Right. And so, you know, you were talking about, you know, the conversations you have with God, those intimate conversations that you have between you and God, did he give you a, a new sense of purpose or did you find your purpose then? Or was it, let's talk about purpose and assignment now, right? Because I've been talking about that a lot lately, especially on social media and with my audience about the, the difference between purpose and assignment, but the importance of them both. You know, your purpose is why you were created. Mm -hmm. Your assignment is how you demonstrate that in various environments, right? And our purpose is, God's purpose for you is just his way of getting his work done through you. Right. Like that's, that's, that's simple for me. God wants to get some work done in this earth and he wants to use you to do it. And he's, he's equipped you to do it in this earth. So can you talk about like your purpose and your assignment and then going through this ordeal? Um, was it re-energized or did you discover it when you went through it? Or let, let's talk about that. My purpose, I believe from when I was young, very, very young, I, I've always had the knack or the, the desire or the ability to speak uh, to groups. Uh, I began teaching Sunday school as a young kid mm -hmm. and I was teaching kids and I was a kid and I didn't know what I was talking about, but they <laughs> thought I did. So we had fun with that. And then on and on into adulthood, young adults, I would teach Sunday school. I would teach Bible classes to young adults. I would teach, uh, I became a deacon and I would teach to deacons uh, classes and then uh, I became an ordained min uh, licensed minister and I do Bible classes I do uh, Bible classes even now I've always had the the ability and the desire to speak uh, I didn't know what platform or what what God how large or how small God was going to use that and so I, I have to admit that I've always had this inclination to speak but I never felt I had 
total permission to speak. And I think what happened during my ordeal in the hospital and prior to my transplant operation is during those moments of speaking with God, I got permission. You mean permission from him all these years or permission from the people that you were? I, I got permission from him. Okay. I, I realized I didn't need anybody else's permission. All I needed was his permission. Uh, so all I, this time you're waiting on permission to speak? Permission to speak. Yeah. Was I good enough? Yeah. Was I qualified? Was that the real use of my talents, abilities? What, was I misreading what he had given me? Just because he allowed me to teach Sunday school or speak or do those things didn't mean it was necessarily my assignment to do that. Uh, I think sometimes we confuse uh, what God allow us to do with what God wants us to do sometimes. And, we, we, and you can only find out what God wants you to do is when he tells you. You can, you know, because being a speaker, you could you could do a whole lot of things with with the speaking ability. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be uh, a public speaker. You, you you could be something else. You could work in television. You can do. I mean, you could do a whole lot of things. You could imagine what I'm what, what I'm saying. But when you get it clear that I have a message to people about finances, I have a message to people about success. I have a message to people about uh, about faith. Uh, that is a much more refined mm -hmm. assignment, much more refined purpose. I think my greater purpose, and I think every believer's purpose is to magnify and glorify Absolutely. God. But I think we get assignments. I think about the, the apostles. Uh, they were given assignments, and you, you do whatever you've been assigned to do. And that's how you uh, fulfill why you're here, is when you're willing to accept the assignments that God gives you when he gives them to you. Mm -hmm. And what I did was, I don't know if I grew my, my, my ability to fulfill my assignments or my purpose, but it was certainly confirmed. And I, was, I felt uh, I was given permission to move forward. And so I'm confident now that I don't have to worry about whether I'm good enough. I don't have to worry about whether I'm experienced enough. I don't have to try to find out who I'm supposed to speak to. I get a feeling that whoever I'm supposed to speak to will show up or I'll show up mm -hmm. and we'll just meet uh, at the assigned place. And I guess that's where we are aligned. Um, growing up, I was I was a kid who was quiet. I didn't really talk a whole lot. And so I always knew that if I had the opportunity to talk, I wanted to make sure that I was impeccable with my words. Impeccable meant in my head, it meant perfect. Mm -hmm. Well, we're, we're not perfect. Right. And so, you know, you when I'm speaking, sometimes I. I speak too fast, or I might, or I might uh, stumble over my words, right? And so I'm like, God, I, you, you got, you, <laughs> you got me in front of all these people, and um, yeah. sometimes I stumble over my words. Don't worry about that. Don't worry. What comes from the heart is going to reach the heart. Yeah. And so I began to, um, still in perfecting my craft, I was more focused on making sure that I had something impactful to say absolutely and you were talking about your message right it's, it's real easy to get up and 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 to and to speak but if you don't have a message you said you have a message of faith you have a message for finances that is that is what god is giving you to speak and so there's going to be content but there's there's going to be context as well but it's also going to be passion there as well and so that's what separates people who just want to be on stage versus people who actually have something to say absolutely yeah and so going forward, you know, now that, you know, you're on a, you're on the back end of everything and you're still healing from it. 
what do you see happening these next five years with this assignment that God is giving you? More and more opportunities are going to show up. Yeah. Uh, they're going to show up. Uh, they're not going to be planned. Yeah. They're, they're, I'm not going to be able to control them. Uh, I think God has made it very clear to me that it's going to be a trust journey as all faith and all assignments are. I mean, they're never, and every, whenever you think you've got it all figured out, when you think you are, you know, you're tight and you, <laughs> you, you've got it all together, you're, you're probably not quite there yet. And uh, the more uncomfortable you are, the more unsure you are, the more you pray, the more you depend on him, probably the better you are. And I know for me yeah. that the next few years are going to be incredible uh, for 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 perhaps a number of reasons, but a major reason is is that I do believe, and we've heard this for a long time, Jesse, that the times in times are, are closer than they've ever been, and they are, of <laughs> course. But I think that what we're seeing in the world now demands that those of us who have an assignment or have a message need to get it out, and I think God is going to open up opportunities for us yeah. to do that. We don't have to go chasing it. We don't have to chase. Like I shared with you earlier, and some of you guys already know, I asked God. Who is my who are my people? Who am I supposed to speak to? And he said, don't worry about that. You worry about just saying what I tell you to say. You worry about just putting the message out there the best way you know how. And I worry about the rest. If you are consistent and if you are obedient and you are faithful to what I told you to do. And I'm speaking to you right now. If you are faithful and you are obedient and you are consistent to what God told you to do. You won't have to chase anybody. You won't have to chase an audience. You don't have to worry about likes because the right people will become the, they go, they're going to come and eat from your tree. You don't see an orange tree knocking on your door saying, hey, I'm an orange tree. Do you want some oranges? You don't see an apple tree knocking on your door and say, I'm an apple tree. Do you want some apples? No, they produce where they are. And if somebody wants some apples, they go to the apple tree. And so that's what it's going to be like for you. Once you become confident in who God has called you to be, not perfect, but confident in your purpose, confident in your assignment and obedient to what he told you to do, then you're going to begin to see transformation in the work that you do. Believe me, I was not the most confident person. I know I'm 6'3 and whatever. Listen, I was not confident on stage. And sometimes I'm still not. I get scared every single time. I'm scared doing this right now because I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen. But I understand that God has given me an assignment, guys, and he's giving you an assignment. And there's nobody who can do it like me. There's nobody that can do it like Mr. Archangel. There's nobody that can do it like his wife. There's nobody that can do it like you. All you have to do is be obedient to what he told you to do to the best of your ability. And when you do that consistently, when you are faithful and you remain humble, then the right people, the right opportunities are going to find you. You don't have to chase anything. Blessings will chase you down and overtake you, and it's going to be so good that you can't even keep it all to yourself. You're going to have to be a distribution center for God's blessings. Thank you for listening to the Kingdom Mogul Podcast. You can support the podcast by subscribing, downloading your favorite episode, and sharing the podcast via social media. Don't forget to visit KingdomMogulCoaching.com to find more resources to help you grow your faith as you grow your business. Remember, what you want to become depends on your willingness to become it.